Anyway, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 26. Join me, please. Acts chapter 26, 19 to 29. <clears throat> yes, I'm still battling bronchitis and my sinuses are messed up, but we'll get through this. Hopefully. Acts chapter 26, 19 to 29. Today I want to focus on the gospel. And this will conclude our series on who's your one. And uh, I actually changed the verses that they had recommended to these verses. Because the issue here today is the resurrection. But beyond that, the issue is how does the resurrection play in our daily lives? That we're to be witnessing for Christ based on the resurrection because without the resurrection of Christ, there is no salvation. And we look at our narrative this morning. The narrative is simply a retelling of events or a, a conversation that is taking place Paul has been talking about his conversation. He has been talking about his conversion to Christ before Festus and for King Agrippa. And so he's telling them, this is what happened to me. I was sent out and I was on the road to Damascus and I was breathing out threats against the church and I met the risen Christ. And it radically changed Paul's life. The gospel in and of itself radically changes the lives of people. You are a testament this morning of the fact that the gospel has changed you. Now you may stumble and you may struggle and you may fall at times, but ultimately because you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old things have been passed away, new things have come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And so, that's where we are at in our narrative this morning. And as we go on and we look at what Paul writes here, so I stand here testifying both to the small and the great, saying nothing but the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, that was Good Friday, and that by being the first to be raised from the dead, he would proclaim the light both to the people and to the Gentiles. The issue here for the Apostle Paul, as it was in the New Testament Acts, and when you think of the book of Acts, think of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Here, the central issue of the Christian faith is the resurrection. The resurrection is the most important dynamic because if Christ was not raised, you will not be raised, and your faith is in vain. But I can tell you this morning, as a testament in my own life, Christ did raise from the dead, and we will reign with him, and we will see him someday in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, and we will behold the Savior who saved us and redeemed us by the precious blood of of Christ. Now I want to look at the gospel this morning and as I unfold this I have five points. Don't get nervous. We should get out of here by noon. 
That's a pastor joke. The gospel. The gospel in itself is good news because it says that when you trust in Christ, your sins are forgiven and you're fit for heaven. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do about how good I am or uh, how wonderful I live my life. It is because he was wonderful and he was good enough and he was the sacrificial perfect lamb to pay for my sin and yours. And because of that, it is good news. You do not have to be perfect. You do not have to, you don't have to be good enough to get into the kingdom of God because Christ did that for you. Why else would he have gone to the cross? And he took God's wrath upon himself so that I don't have to incur God's wrath. Now let's look at the gospel. This is something now, as you leave here today, and there's a bunch of us here, as you leave here today, these are some things I want you to remember about the gospel. First of all, the gospel will seem crazy to some. Let's pick up the narrative in verse 24. And as Paul was saying these things, we just read that about Christ must suffer, he will raise from the dead, and that he would be a light to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Notice the narrative in verse 24. And as he, that's Paul, was saying these things in his defense, Festus, not Festus from Gunsmoke, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. That's crazy talk. Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. See, Festus, he had heard about the resurrection in Acts 25, 19. And he did not believe the resurrection. And he says, your great learning. And, and, And by the way, I have met people with PhDs that are really dumb. Piled higher and deeper, Ph.D. And he's telling Paul in a backhanded way, Paul, you're nuts. Christ did not raise from the dead. You're learning. And Paul was a well-learned man. He had the pedigree of the highest order in Hebrew. He was an Israelite above all other Israelites. And Festus goes, Paul, you're out of your mind. Look at what all that book learning has done to you. (laughs) John Polhill writes this. It was an offhanded compliment. It was. Festus was showing a genuine respect for Paul's learning. Still, he was showing the kind of popular prejudice often directed against scholars. Too much learning alters the perspective. Puts one out of touch with the real world. As a Greco-Roman, as culture, they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And Jesus showed them throughout his ministry. Raising Lazarus on the fourth day. Why did he do that? Because some believe that the resurrection was possible within three days, but it was absolutely impossible four days. 
Jesus did what could not be done. And yet these people were so stiff-necked and so hard of heart that they could not embrace the gospel message that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now let me say a word to us this morning. We have proof of the resurrection of Christ. In fact, did you know that in the scriptures, there are over 520 witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you want those verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Now think about that for a minute. If you have over 520 witnesses, there was more than that, obviously, and you were to put Christ on trial, and that all of this evidence, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him, he would be cleared of all charges against him because the resurrection was real. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection really happened. He did not stay in the grave. They bolted the tomb and Christ appeared. Glory to God. Now when you go out into the world this week and you start talking about Jesus Christ, some people are going to laugh at you. That's what Festus was doing. Paul, can you see him in, a, in an assembly? Paul, you're out of your mind. You're a nut job. And all of your learning is rubbish. He was making fun of him. I'm fully convinced of that. He was, and I think Festus was a little nervous. I think Festus was a little nervous. Listen to me. When somebody pushes so hard against you, when you are sharing the gospel, they're going to say things that they would not normally say. And the reason that they're saying it is because the gospel may be getting inside of them. The more they push back, by the way, if you've got somebody in your life today that pushes hard against you, pray for them. Pray for them. Because Festus is trying to explain away the resurrection. And he does it with what I call nervous cackling. Paul, you're crazy. Know this, that when you share the gospel, you're opening yourself up. You're opening yourself up to ridicule. But let me just say this. Let me just say this. That you should wear that as a badge of honor. They persecuted the prophets. They will persecute you and me basically because we are sharing the truth. Ben Stein, one of my favorite comedians, he really is funny. If you get a chance, you need to watch him. He's Christian. And he said, why are, why are people so afraid of the truth? And why do they get so angry? And he stops and he says, because they don't have it. And it's truth that's supposed to hurt. And the fact is, we do have the truth. Christ came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He took that sinless life. He put it on the cross for you and me. 
And then he died and rose again and reigns at the right hand of the Father. That is the truth. That is the absolute truth. And in that we can trust. But the gospel, even though it seems crazy to some, it does require something on our part. Not to add to the gospel or anything like that. But it does require sensitivity when sharing. Not only is the gospel crazy to some, it requires sensitivity when sharing. Now, when I was a, a young Christian, I remember this Muslim man sitting on a bench right outside our unit doors. And I kind of poked fun at him. He was facing Mecca praying. He had his turban on. That was actually wrong of me. Um, and I got into something that I shouldn't have gotten into. And might have done more damage. And I hope he got saved. But that was not a good encounter. That was my fault. I was insensitive in sharing the gospel. I asked him simply, is your God answering you? And I was kind of, I was still rough around the edges. I was a work in progress. Many of us are. Uh, you know what Paul could have done? He could have lashed back. Paul, you're nuts. Well, let me tell you who's nuts. Right? He, he could have done that. But watch what Paul does. But Paul said to him, I'm not out of my mind. Most excellent, Festus. Did you see that? He didn't come back. Look, let God fight your battles for you. You do not need to fight your battles. But we need to make sure that we are sharing the gospel with sensitivity. He says, no, I'm not out of my mind. I'm perfectly sane. Most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. What do we learn just from this little sentence? After being called a crazy man, Paul comes back and says, I'm fine. I'm speaking truth and I'm using rational words. I'm not crazy. And you could, you could hear the assembly kind of watching this dialogue. I don't know, as a young Christian, or even as a young pastor, I might have come back with something. Okay, you want a you curveball? I'm going to throw you a fastball. But Paul didn't. So what did we learn from Paul? Number one, show respect. Show respect. Years ago, I've probably shared this before, but I'll share it again. A man was uh, stage four cancer. It was a member of our church had invited me. And that was back in the day when pastors dressed like this, even more decked out. I stood in his doorway, stood in a doorway where he was in the hospital. He said, are you a pastor? And I said, yes, and he said, I won't tell you exactly what he said, but he said, leave that Bible outside the door. So I went to the nurse's station, I put the Bible 
at the nurse station. Walked in. I met with him, talked with him. I didn't mention the gospel at all because I realized he wasn't ready for it. I said, hey, do you mind if I come back and visit you in a couple of days? Sure. So I went back and visited him again. Didn't talk about the Bible, didn't talk about the gospel. And then the third time I went back, I immediately just dropped my Bible off. It was wash, rinse, and repeat with this guy. He was tough. So I put my Bible at the nurse's station, and he goes, Pastor, you don't have to leave that Bible out there. So I went back to, my, to the nurse's station, grabbed it. I looked at the nurse, and I go, whoa. So I go in. By the end of that time, I was reading scripture to him, and he asked me to pray for him. This went on for a little while, and finally at 10 o'clock on a snowy night in Akron, Ohio, the family calls me. He's asking for me. I go to his deathbed, and I share the gospel with him 45 minutes before he dies, and he trusts in Christ. Do you know what that, that is? That showing respect for where people are. It's not being the bull in the china shop. It's just being, okay, I know this person's not ready yet, so I'm going to show respect. Most excellent Festus. See what he did? He took him where he was. Even though he had been criticized, Paul says, no, no, no problem, no problem at all. Here's the other thing you need to do. Be calm. Expect pushback. People are going to push back on you. Paul was very calm. Hey, no, wait a minute. I'm in my right mind. I'm speaking truth. I'm just telling you what the truth is. I'm using rational words, right? Paul was lowering the hostility. And that's part of what we have to do. We have to get to a place where we lower it. Thirdly, speak the truth. Aletheia. That means this word truth that Paul uses is aletheia, which means that you speak about something that actually happened that is true. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about the resurrection of Christ. <laughs> See? He's brought it down a little bit. And he goes, wait a minute. They, they would have known instinctively that Paul was talking about Acts 25 where he's mentioning the resurrection. A fourth thing is to use good judgment. To use good judgment. Sophrosune. Sophrosune means sound judgment. That's rational words. Sound judgment. If somebody's not ready for it and they keep pushing back, step back. The most effective tool that you have is not your voice. The most effective tool you have is prayer. If you have to default to that, use that. Just very calmly say this is what the gospel says John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish 
but have eternal life. That's the gospel. Less is more. And by the way, share what Jesus has done in your life. Share how the resurrection has changed your life. It, it really is the idea of being sensitive. But on the other end, yet, you need to speak boldly. Look at verse 26. Now, Paul shifts the conversation at this point to the king. It's kind of wild. Paul's got both of them there. Now, listen to what he says. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. Pararizomai, which means to speak with complete confidence. Reminds me of Paul when he says, I am persuaded that he will keep that which I have committed to him unto that day. Paul was absolutely committed and he was confident in him in Christ. King Agrippa, um, by the way, this word knows, a piece to me means to possess information. So King Agrippa knew about the gospel message. And by the way, you're going to have people that know the gospel message. They just rejected it. Now, King Agrippa II, you'll know who he was the, he was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was a Hellenistic Jew, but he was also raised as a Roman. This is, this is a dichotomy of his life. On one end, he knew, and on the other end, he wanted to stay away from it. His life was like so many that we come in contact with. In the Jewish war, he defended the temple but supported Rome. He actually helped them defend the temple, but then he goes, wait a minute, I'm on Rome's side. He was kind of like Switzerland. Kind of like, okay, this and this. But I've got to maintain this because I'm a king. He was a shrewd politician. You can see it. You can see it in his life. Kiss the baby, don't kiss the baby. His life was like this. He had one major problem, though, which led to his downfall. He was sensitive to, Jeru uh, to Judaism. He knew. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. His major problem was the rumor. It was rumored that he was having relationship with his sister. In 66 AD, he wound up losing control. It's amazing. You can only juggle the plate so long. Look, look. There's people out in the world 
They're juggling the plates. They can only do it so long. Eventually, they're going to have to come to some type of conclusion. Back in 1999, I got a call from my dad. And my uncle Doug had passed away. And at that time, I was pastoring a, a, a church in Ohio. And my dad said, I want to fly you out here, and I want you to preach your Uncle Doug's funeral. And I said, okay, Dad, I'll, I'll do that. I loved Uncle Doug. He was one of my favorites. I said, Dad, I'll do it, but you have to make an agreement with me. He said, what's that? I said, you have to go to church with me on Sunday. My dad said, okay. Went, preached a funeral for my uncle. One of the hardest, one of the hardest funerals I've preached. I've preached a few hard ones. That Sunday, I chose the big Baptist church that had the tweeters and woofers. And my dad wore a suit and tie. We make our way, and I go, oh, come on, Dad. Come on, a little closer, a little closer. We sat down in the second row, one end, just in case that I could push my dad out. He could come forward and receive Christ. As we were singing, I had the hymnal out. And I go, here, Dad. And I looked up, and my dad was singing the songs word for word. My dad was raised in church, but had veered. My dad knew the truth, but had rejected it. Audrey went to church with him. Was it Easter? It was Easter. I was over in Germany. My dad was making a comment. He's getting ready to yell to Audrey. My dad knew the message, but had rejected it. I finally did before my dad died. I got down one-on-one -on -one with him. And I said, Dad, you told us last night that you've trusted in Christ. Without an audience, without anybody around, I want to know from your own lips, have you trusted Christ? And my dad looked at me, who often lied to me growing up. He said, Yes, I've trusted Christ. And then he died. I believe my dad. Here you have a situation where King Agrippa knew. He knew. And Paul goes on to say in verse 26, 
For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a quarter, uh, in, in a corner. That was an idiom for the day. If I say something like woke, you know instinctively what that means. This was, Paul was saying the king Agrippa knows this. He knows this. He knows the Christian message. It wasn't done over in a corner, silently, out of the way from everybody. Kenneth Gangle writes this, how often we hear people talk about Christian faith in a secret cult. I've actually been told that it was in a cult whose people meet in special places at special times to share their cryptic knowledge and experiences. To be sure, that kind of behavior often occurs among people who call themselves Christians. But that was hardly the pattern of the New Testament church. The New Testament church boldly proclaimed Christ. It wasn't off to the side somewhere. And brothers and sisters, we've got to get back to that in our own lives sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and him dying, crucified, buried, and risen from the dead and now reigning at the right hand of the Father. We've got to get back to that. And that's why I like this series, Who's Your One? It encourages you to get one person to share the gospel with the rest of this year. Can we do that? Can we just take one person, one lost person, and share the gospel with them. Love them. Make friends with unbelievers. We like to isolate. We like to go into a corner and huddle. There's nothing wrong with that. But we live in a real world with real people who are dying every day, going to hell, separated from Christ for all eternity, and we've got the solution. The solution is Christ and him raised from the dead. Victory, victory, victory in Christ. That's what we celebrate this morning, victory. Ah. I, I love what Chip Ingram said. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. That's a big difference. We're not struggling to win. We've already won. Christ did it for us. Praise be to God. Number four, we must persuade people, 27 and 28. Now listen to what Paul says. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Paul says, I know you know. Ooh, like my dad, when I saw him singing the hymns, then he told me later, I grew up in the church. My dad was a deacon, which is my grandfather who really struggled with alcoholism. Then he got saved and helped build a church. My dad took me to that church. My dad said, I, I grew up, I knew Christ. And then my dad did what he wanted to do. King Agrippa, I know. I know you know. 
finger gripper will kind of do this in just a second. But he says, yeah, you know, you believe the prophets, don't you? I know you do. And what do the prophets do? The prophets point to Christ. Here's King Agrippa. Back and forth. Paul says, hey, we've, we've had this conversation before. There may be people in your lives, you've had that conversation before. You know they know the truth. At that point, try to reason with them, but also pray for them. Pray for them that they may come to a saving knowledge. Pistuo, which means to believe something and to trust that it is trustworthy. Howard Marshall at most, this is Paul, at most, he must be suggesting that Agrippa believed that the prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah. But the way in which Christians saw the fulfillment of the prophecies was not necessarily the way in which the Jews viewed them. But Paul knew. There was a prior discussion about all this. And there may be people in your lives today in your life today that you've had numerous conversations with I'm gonna tell you this don't give up on them if God can save the Apostle Paul he can save anyone you got a rebellious son or a daughter or granddaughter or grandson or father or mother that is wayward Never, ever, ever give up. Christ is victorious. And he can reach them. Pray for them. Love them. Show them the truth lovingly. And then confront them with the gospel message. That's exactly what Paul's doing here. He's trying to persuade. That's really how the gospel is done a lot of times. It's done one-on-one. -on -one. And as we started this series, it's one conversation. That's all you need. One conversation with one person. It's the trench work of the gospel. We can do that. We can share the gospel with people that desperately need to hear the gospel. We have the good news. So we want to share it. We want to share with those who are hurting. People may have been raised in a church. They may be familiar with the Bible. You have a good opportunity. Don't waste the opportunity share the gospel with them the goal is to persuade here he is King Agrippa he's on this side now he's jumping back over here watch, watch what King Agrippa does he sees Festus he sees the multitudes there the congregation if you will that was there and Agrippa says to Paul notice verse 28 in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian Patho, to convince someone to act. 
it put the king in an awkward position. Paul knows I know. Now Festus knows that I know. And he's on a stage. And Festus goes, Would you persuade me to be a Christian, Paul? Backward criticism. Because eventually the gospel will find you out. And King Agrippa was in a bad spot. Once again, Paul the Master, he was one of my favorites. You see what Paul says in verse 29? The gospel desires all to be saved. And Paul said, whether a short time or a long time, time I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for the chains that I am currently in do you see what Paul's doing masterfully a beautiful quote here by John Polhill he writes this playing on Agrippa's words which he did He indicated that the timing of the decision made little difference to him. I love this quote. Whether long or short, his real prayer was that not just Agrippa, but everyone in the audience in the room would become a Christian believer. That's what we need to do this week. We need to go out and say, I wish everybody that was in my realm of my life would become a born-again Christian. You do realize that if you are born, you have the possibility to be born again. The gospel knows no bounds. You can be rich, you can be poor, you can be socially inept, you can be economically, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, any of them. God wants everybody to be saved. And Paul says, I don't care if it takes till your deathbed or if you repent and trust in Christ today. That's not the issue. The issue is, I want you to trust Christ. And that's what Paul was pointing to. Let's remember something. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but that everyone come to repentance. I love the hourglass. You only get, you know, I, I heard a song the other day, and I go, you know what, I was a young man when that song came out. I was in my mid-twenties. Now I'm a little older than that. 63. It goes fast. But I tell you one thing, I do not worry about at all. I know where I'm going when I pass. I am going into the presence of Christ. You may be young and you think you got all of life to do this. You're not promised tomorrow. Today might be iffy. So many people 
Ty Cobb, that's a name that's synonymous. Everybody know who Ty Cobb is? Okay, most do. Ty Cobb was a jerk. He, he was a jerk most of his life. And then he met a Presbyterian minister. The Presbyterian minister spent time with Ty Cobb. By the way, he's the all-time hits leader, as far as I remember right. I don't think that'll ever be beat. He was a baseball player. My wife's reminded me of a baseball player, famous baseball player, Ty Cobb. Towards the end of his life, the Presbyterian minister led him to saving faith in Christ. On his deathbed with the reporters outside his room, he told the minister, tell the boys in the press that I'm sorry I accepted Christ in the bottom of the ninth. I wish I would have accepted him in the top of the first.